right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. Uh, got a good interview here with Rich Beam coming up very shortly. Ran into him at the Players' Championship la- last week. I think it was last week. Was that really a week ago? A week and a half ago? It was a Tuesday afternoon of the Players' Championship week. It feels like it was about two months ago. Um, had the equipment all set up and just said, hey, come in the studio right now. Let's do it. And we did. So it's uh, a little bit off the cuff, which I think we discussed in the beginning. But he is an awesome, awesome interview and has had a very interesting life in golf. So hope everyone is getting through this very difficult time. All right. Uh, social distancing, washing your hands. And uh, it's it's not been great. It's not been fun for anyone. But while you are social distancing, if you are looking for some kind of an outlet for golf creativity, here's something we want you to keep in mind. On the Callaway website, you can customize and personalize a Callaway Golf Maverick driver, a Jaws wedge, a PM grind wedge. Callaway Customs offers, it's a it's a full configurator. You can change the colors of the driver if you want. If for some reason the stock electric tangerine color of the Maverick doesn't fit your personal style, you can make a blue one, which as I'm saying that out loud, I might have to do that. Uh, you can add custom stamping to the wedges. Uh, if you wanted to put wash your hands on there or isolate, you can do that. Uh, seriously, people, please protect yourself, wash your hands. Please show kindness to others in this very difficult time. We want to remind people of that at every stop that we can. Um, there's a lot of stuff you could do. Tron makes gets new wedges pretty much or new irons and new full set of clubs pretty much once a month. So I don't know what he currently has in his bag. We need to get Neil working on a maybe a St. Rapio, either the image. You can put images on there, I think. You can you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Or maybe just put like hashtag Icarito on there. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do. Again, if you need a distraction, go mess around with the configurator at callawaygolf.com slash customs and share the Maverick drivers and wedges you're making. Send us some pictures. We want to see some cool custom ones. And uh, maybe maybe we should do a contest. Let me talk with the guys. This is not in the copy. I'm throwing this off the cuff. They might be able to run a, little, a couple contests to uh, see who can come up with the best ideas. But again, callawaygolf.com slash customs. Without any further delay, let's get to Rich Beam. I'll intro it with this, is that what I just told uh, Mr. Rich Beam, who's sitting across the table from me, I've never done so little preparation for a podcast. I saw you today and said, we need to do one, and you said, let's do it today. So here we are. So tell me everything about your career. I'm not even going to ask any questions. That's, that's, (laughs) you know what, where do I start? Uh, Yeah, okay, there you go. (laughs) 94, you turn pro. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I say turn pro, that just means that I took a job as an assistant pro, but it's just kind of like you declare it one day. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean like, I'm a professional. Do you have a press conference to declare? You know what? I, I I think I did it in front of my three buddies while we were sitting around drinking a bunch of Coors Lights uh, on a Thursday night before going out to a bar called Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you you turn pro. Do you are you chasing status anywhere? Are you entering oh, events? What's, what's oh God no no no, no seriously you're, so, would, you're folding sweaters. For me to say that I'm a professional, literally it would be like you saying I'm a professional. I mean, like it literally had. <laughs> I do no, try to say that sometimes. Listen, well, my business cards say professional. In fact, I'll show you. I'll show you my business card. My business card. You're gonna love this. You have my business card. You can post that. All right. 
Okay. Professional dot 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 dot. <laughs> it doesn't say professional. What? It doesn't say professional what? It just says professional. So the other side says Beamer relax dot 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 dot. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so for me to say I was professional, it literally was like I'm bored. Let's do something today. That's all it was. It had no bearing on me being going out there and trying to play on a tour. I mean, I had aspirations, but I hadn't the faintest idea of what. What was your game to- like? I a good college kid, a good college game. Where'd you, know, you go to school? New Mexico, well, Harvard on the Rio Grande, New Mexico State. Okay. <laughs> like, you're gonna have to clarify that one for me. Harvard, that's why I always say, but I, and I always get the same look. <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> you led into it, and then you went back. I for went your back because it's all yeah. It's, it's Harvard on the Rio Grande. Like what? And folks at New Mexico State, we get it. We, it's our own little joke. Is that where you where you grew up, or how did you end up? There? I my parents went to school there. Yeah, my dad worked for the. Worked for the government. Funny enough, he was a civilian contractor. He was a golf professional. So he was the head pro um, at military golf courses around the world. Uh, we lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico, when actually it's called missile base called White Sands Missile Range, which is about 30 minutes away. And then from there, we moved to Panama. And then from there, we moved to Berlin, Germany, and then we moved back to New Mexico. So I kind of from some that. experiences there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. A little bit different childhood growing up, you know, growing up and you know, wall was a thousand yards from, from my house. So you cruise on over there on my bike and check it out. Let's fast forward at least a little bit here. How do you get, you won a PGA championship. We're going to get to that, but what was the early professional years like? How long were you working in a golf shop before you're trying to play actual events? Um, so I went to go work as an assistant pro at Westward Hill Country Club in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which funny enough, is where I'm going to make my Champions Tour debut later on this year in Sioux Falls at a different golf course. In fact, they're right next to each other. Like, literally, one's right above the other one. Um, And, you know, I I think my first ever, quote-unquote, professional event was passing my PAT. (laughs) Playability (laughs) test in order to to get your... Yeah, in order to become a... Which is basically like a breaking 80 test, right? That's all it is. Yeah, I think you had to shoot... It, it basically was, yeah, a pair of 78s or 9s or something like that. And I kind of beat that by a lot. So that was probably my technically my first ever event. And then I played, I think later on that year, I got to play in a Dakota's Tour event. Back when the Dakota's Tour was, I don't even know if they have any more. I would imagine they have a couple of events up there. But it was probably an eight-week tournament up there in North and South Dakota. And I went out to one in um, in a, in Rapid City, I got an invite. I don't know if an invite. I, I I paid to get in, so I was okay. in. But I think I had to I had to ask the pro to to give me a spot. I think that's what it was, if I remember correctly. Gary Metzger, and it turns out that uh, he thought, you know, he said, I thought I was just giving a spot to you know, just a pro want to get away for a week. He said, I didn't really think you had any any talent game, at yeah. all. Because <laughs> I finished, I think I finished top twenty someplace. Um, it may not have been that good, but I played well, made the cut, and made a check. So that was probably my first ever true professional event. Did you get the itch after that, and were you chasing it? Um, yeah, I kind of got the itch. I mean, I, I actually got a little money to go play that fall, and this would have been, geez, what year would have been? 94? Yeah, 1994, I went down to Las Vegas. There was something called the, uh, the Silver State Tour. And there was a guy named, there was a kid named Warren Scuta uh, a long time ago. He was actually the um, Pub Links champion. And he went to school at Nevada, Las Vegas, South African kid, unbelievable player, unbelievable player. Well, he was having 
problems after turning pro on places to play. So his dad started the Silver State Tour. And I go out and I, I win the first event. Um, it was a 36-hole event, but I won after 27 holes because we got snowed out. Jesus. <laughs> we got snowed out in Las Vegas, of all places, if you, can believe, if you can believe that. And I think first prize was like, I don't know, 1500 or something like that. I mean, it was it it wasn't much, that's for sure. But listen, it was a win, yeah. you know. And so I think I still have the crystal somewhere too. Not even a crystal; it's like a wooden plaque, maybe. I don't know. Does it's it funny. sit right next to all your PGA Tour titles? I don't. You know, there a lot of them were kind of in the same little area. My wife said, "Okay, you don't need to have the Conrad Hilton Open <laughs> Trophy next to the Wanamaker. Okay, it's just not necessary." I'm like, "Yeah, it is. It's important. It was a big deal back in the day." So so. Uh, Okay, so what what year are we in now? So no, it's just ninety four. That was oh, the end of ninety four. Yeah, okay. so it was ninety four. So I mean, I just I didn't really, you know, I had the itch, but I also saw the guys that that could play. I mean, I got a taste of it once again going back to the Dakota store because we hosted an event at the course that I was working at, and these guys could flat out play. I mean, I think Cam Beckman won that year, final round of sixty three, in a golf course. I'm like, damn, sixty three. I mean, I don't, that's not. I don't have that game. Mm-hmm. And so I just I wanted to be around the game, but I didn't really think that I was going to be talented enough to actually play it for a living. And did something happen to change that? I mean, something had to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a couple years later. Now we're going to fast forward to 1998. Have you walked away from golf yet at this point? Because you quit at some point. No, no. I So I quit basically. I quit at the end of, let's see, 94, 95. At the end of 95. Okay. I quit at the end of 95. Walked just followed my then fiance to Seattle where I took a job. That's when I worked for Magnolia Hi-Fi, took a job selling, selling car stereos or selling cell phones to begin with. And then they bumped me up to car stereos. And you talk about somebody that had absolutely zero idea about any of that stuff, <laughs> any of it. But I, how'd you do selling those? Oh, been, I mean, I could sell anything. <laughs> I had a knack. I had a knack for the BS. Are you kidding me? I could sell. I mean, it was, I for some odd reason, I was given the ability to just not lie, but wing it. You know, just go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not everything that I sold. I mean, I can't tell you. So when I when they actually moved me from stereo from cell phones to stereos, I didn't realize that each car had a different size speaker in it. So I would go out and I'd sell some dude three thousand dollars worth of equipment, <laughs> and the installer would be like. You can't put those speakers in this. They don't fit. That's not the right ones. I'm like, really? So I'd have to give the money back to the guy. I'd have to resell him stuff that I could. I'm just like, I had no idea what I was doing. I had zero idea of what I was doing. But I tell you what, I could sell, baby. Was there anything about that job that made you want to get back into golf? Or no, 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 not really. I mean, funny enough, I just I was actually pretty content. I was working four days a week. It was actually a lot of fun. I met one of my closest friends of all time um, at that job. And I just, there was a lot of really cool things that came out of it. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I never really got the golf bug. The only time, once I got the golf bug was, and it wasn't really to go back out and to compete. It was when I was watching Paul Stankowski win in Atlanta. And I'm like, I know that guy. Because he played at UTEP when I played at New Mexico State. And so, and I can't say that we were I mean, I just, we happened to play the same golf course a couple of times. I happened to meet him a few times. But I knew who he was because he was from that area. I'm like, I know that guy. So I kicked the rust off the golf clubs and went out there and started hitting golf balls again. 
And then probably, and this is the spring of this spring of '96. Now, now just things aren't going well with the girlfriend, fiance, blah blah blah. And so, thought you know what? I don't think this is quite for me. So I uh, moved back home for a little bit. Actually, played a little bit of golf that summer, but I just kind of went back down there, uh, back to New Mexico. Took a couple of odd jobs here and there, and then. Um, and then in the fall of 96, a job opened up at El Paso Country Club, which is funny enough where Paul, he would have practiced and played out of when he was going to UTEP. And so and I knew the head pro there because he also played at UTEP and his dad and my dad were close friends. Cameron Doan is his name. That's when things started kind of kicking in motion because I had a job at a course that I really wanted to be at. I had a lot of family, a lot of friends in the area. And I just, it was a blast. Mm-hmm. I loved working there. Mm-hmm. Now I, I can honestly say, and my my pro would tell me this because Cameron is still my instructor to this day. You were a crap employee. You were terrible. <laughs> what and made you a crap employee? I ADD. I could he would because he was so regimented in what he wanted done. And if he gave me more than one thing to do, I mean, if I, he said go fold all those shirts or, or fold every shirt in here, I could do that. If he would say fold all the shirts and answer the phones, well. Something's going to get messed up. One of those two jobs is going to get messed up. There's no doubt about it that my AD is going to kick in. And the next thing you know, I'm going to be changing light bulbs in the you know women's locker room. You know, it just I had no ability to stay focused. And so it really came through when I was dealing with folks from behind the counter. And I just I because you'd have, you know, all these members coming in from different places. You know, one group's going out, the other guy's coming in, telling me all these things. And I'd be like. Huh? Huh? I mean, I literally, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I was, I was beyond clueless. But, you know, it was. Did you get I, to play golf? Is that I how got you, to play golf okay. a couple of days a week. Because a lot of pros at, at courses don't get to play a lot of golf. You know, it's funny because they don't play a lot of golf and they don't play in tournaments. They don't play in the, in the, there's a lot of Monday Pro-Ams at courses around mm-hmm. in Texas. But I got to say, I've been living in Austin and they don't have a whole lot of Monday Pro-Ams that, that guys will go and play in. And that to me was the thing that I, I lived for. I lived for those Monday Pro-Ams. I mean, you'd get out there. I played twice a week because uh, the, they wanted you to play. The members expected you to play and they wanted good players mm-hmm. there. And it, and it always helped out. You know, it helped you get lessons, you know, book your lesson book, things like that. But just being seen and, and, and knowing that you're a good player. But on the Mondays, I couldn't wait to go play in them. Wherever they were, I'd drive up Sunday night, get a hotel, you know, share it with a buddy, another pro or whatnot, or would, I'd take, you know, three members with me and we'd go stay somewhere. It, it didn't matter. But I just, I loved to play in the Monday programs. And, and I was thankful, too, because the members wanted to play. We had enough members that had their own businesses that could take Mondays off, and they would go to Albuquerque with us. They'd go to Rio Doso. They'd go to Santa Fe. They'd go wherever wherever it was. And so we always had a good group of guys that were willing to travel on Sunday nights to go tee it up. Mm-hmm. So that was always a that was always a big deal. But those Monday programs were yeah. were a blast. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break here to introduce a new sponsor here to the No Laying Up podcast. I'll tell you, these guys have helped me, I wouldn't say look cooler, I would just say look less like a dork. Uh, I missed kind of the memo that it's a very wireless world now and everyone needs a, a great pair of wireless earbuds. So before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a wireless earbud pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. So you know, you already know earbud, you might not know this actually, I didn't know this. 
that Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. They sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands that you may know. And Raycon's latest model, E25, is their best one yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design. Gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. They're, so, they're very comfortable. They're perfect for on-the-go listening and for taking phone calls. I know I throw them in in bed while I'm watching some videos or whatnot. While Hannah's reading, I'm not distracting her, and she can't even tell that I have them in. So again, unlike some of the other wireless options, they are stylish and discreet. They don't stick out of your ear. They don't have dangling wires. They don't have the big stems on them. And uh, you might have heard that their company is founded by, co-founded by Ray J. I actually didn't know that until very recently. Other celebrities like J.R. Smith, Snoop Dogg, they're obsessed with Raycon. So pick up a pair, see what all the hype's about. Uh, so again, now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com. That's R-A-Y-C-O-N. Buyraycon.com slash no laying up for 15% off wireless Raycon earbuds. Without any further delay, let's get back to our interview with Rich Beam. In this time period, Q School, how did that work? Is that how is that what your path was to the PGA Tour? Are you able to just sign straight up for Q School? Did you bypass yeah. the minor leagues, basically? I did. I, I literally went straight from the pro shop to the PGA Tour. So <laughs> I had won the section, the section assistance championship in 1998 and in 1998 is when i really i started playing really good and i don't have i have no idea what it what, was how old are you at that time then 98 i would have been 28 okay so you're and, not a young you're not a young oh no fresh no, out no. of college kid no anymore. no but but naive for sure and and i'll get to more of that later on but i went to q school i, I won the assistance championship and i and it used to be years prior that would actually get you a bypass of going to first stage. And so I would have been exempt in second stage. Although in 1998, they took that out. They said, nope, you you still have to go to first stage. So I had to go through all three stages of Q School. And I ended up, in, my first one was in Scottsdale at a golf course called Talking Stick. Ben, uh, ben Crenshaw, Bill Cordesign. Fantastic track, um, but I had to shoot 67 the final day to make it through. To make it through first stage. Yep, to make it through first stage. And then the second second one was in Houston. On the final day, I was in by about two or three going into the final round. And I was two over through six holes. And on the seventh hole, I had a shot with a wedge, and, but in the rough. And I thought, flyer, no flyer, flyer. And I don't think it's a flyer. It was a flyer. And I absolutely airmailed the green by like 30 yards. And I got no shot. I have zero shot. So I get back over there. I find it. I, I hit it back to the front of the green. I got out 60 feet left. I'm choking and I'm mad all in the same breath. I mean, I can't control myself. I'm, I'm literally trying not to vomit. Because I know that making it to finals is a big deal. Well, before I even thought about it, I pulled the trigger, hit it, knocked it in. Hmm. And then I ended up burning the next two holes. And then I, I shot, I think I shot 71 and got through comfortably at the end of the day. But there was some, the, the pressure, the stories you hear about Q School and about how much pressure it puts on you, it's unbelievable. Because if you don't get through second stage, you just wasted 5000 bucks. You got to, nothing. You got no status nothing. anywhere. You got no status anywhere. And so that was a big deal. That was a huge deal for me. In fact, funny enough, Bill Heim, who caddied for me for 14 years and is going to come back and caddy for me when, when I turn 50, 
he actually was at the same venue. He lost in a playoff because back then they had a playoff. He lost in a playoff to get to to go to finals, and then he actually drove out to finals in case anybody withdrew in finals. He was the first alternate, and nobody dropped out. Mm. You figure that out of the 200 and some odd guys that are at finals, somebody would drop One out. One guy, nothing. Nobody dropped out. So hmm. it turned out to be in both of our favors because he and I had a great career together, yeah. and he's one of my closest friends in the world. But it was pretty funny how, how that all happened. Yeah. And you make it all the way. How many like what? How many of I'm looking up your class right here on Wikipedia. You have 41 guys make it through. How many are you estimating? I don't know the answer to this, but how many are you estimating had to go through from the first stage all the way through? Out of that's those 41 rare. guys, there was a few of them that had to. Okay. Um, you know, to, to be fair, I don't know what the... I I've mean, got you, Bo Van Pelt, Charles Warren, Jeff Brehart, and... Jeff Breho, yeah. Breho, and David Seawall and Rory Sabatini David had Sewell. made zero PGA Tour starts. You're the only guys on there that had made zero PGA Tour starts. So my buddies that came out of that was Bo Van Pelt, Bryony Baird. Bryony Baird. Was I that. got to be close with... Oh, I'm drawing a blank. I can't believe I'm drawing blanks on this. I'm so bad with names. It's killing me. But, I, you know, there was a bunch of guys that I, I became, you know, just because we went through that process together. It really was It's one of those weeks where you just kind of put your head down and you just keep on going. I know Mike Weir won it. Mm-hmm. Mike Sposa, that's the other guy that was seeing. Mike Sposa and Bryony Baird, just because we, we hung out together. Uh, when Because right after you got your card, you went to a class, and we went through a media class which I think that everybody in the room, everybody, well, I, I know for me, factually, I didn't hear a single word, and I know that the, that the big gulp in my hand wasn't really a big gulp. It, well, it was a big gulp, but it wasn't, it wasn't as advertised. So, what, yeah, what is, your, what is your reputation, I guess? Did you have a, a partying reputation on Twitter? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where yeah. Did, was it a founded reputation, well-founded? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it, it's it's interesting because I, I think that a lot of the guys, and, and they're, it's true. I listen. As soon as I get done playing golf, I like to have a beverage. Sure, I absolutely like to have a beverage. I'm not going to deny that one iota. It was kind of in the era though when Tiger was kicking everybody's ass, and workouts were becoming super popular fitness all of that sports psychologist i mean all of it was it was you know that's how it was but i mean before the final round at the kemper open in 99 i had a big old fat enchilada plate and four coors lights you know that was my dinner that was just how i did it Mm -hmm. you know and i think that a lot of times it was frowned upon we're in generation before that you know it's kind of like smoking Everybody, everybody used to smoke. Mm-hmm. Now nobody smokes, right? Because it's frowned upon, it's looked down upon, right? But I, listen, it was. You had some good times. I, I had some good times. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it, you know. And I was successful at what I did, and how I did it. So, well, uh, you, uh, a way at least a lot of people work. Some people work. You need some sort of release, I, I imagine, after tournament golf. So, like when I'm sure. when I've played in a couple of tournaments, like in between rounds, I'm like, dude, I need a drink after grinding for four or five hours. Sure. And it's, like, I think that there's there's something to that. I think. It, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. I think that there's. I think for different people, it. it you know, having a having a drink, it's for me. It was more psychological because I needed because I've got ADD and I needed a way to stop thinking about golf. I needed a way to sit there and not fret over what my stroke or what my swing felt like or anything like that. Because if because I could sit there and just go, 
nuts. I still do go nuts. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm just laying in bed in the middle of the night and I'm literally thinking about my putting or I'm thinking about my chipping. I'm thinking about something that has to do with golf. That's just the way my mind works, you know, and after a while, you just get tired of that. Sure. You just get burnt out of thinking about it all the time. It just eats and it gnaws at you. So for for me, when it came to the PGA Tour in tournament golf, I mean, listen, I, I, there are probably very few rounds and even very few rounds. I can you know, probably more so today. I, I don't have I don't drink a lot when after I play golf. Just I'm kind of getting to that age, and, and my body just doesn't like it that much anymore. But I just I needed to have something to kind of smooth me out because I was so high strung, yeah. you know. And listen, I, other people do it different ways. Some guys want to go do push-ups. Some guys want to go running. Mm-hmm. I like the smell of of wooden uh, bar stools and <laughs> inside of a you know sitting at the bar watching TV. Well, yeah. I think that there's a lot of people out there that kind of long for those days on the PGA Tour. Both players and fans kind of. You know, a lot of people love the some of the beer guts, and that kind of culture seems to be have gone by the wayward. And would you say you were one of the guys that kind of kept that going into the two thousands? And and who were some of those guys that would kind of more celebrate that lifestyle? No, oh, unfortunately, he's not on tour anymore. But Anthony Kim was legendary. Yeah. Oh, Anthony Kim was legendary. Give me absolutely everything you've got <laughs> i'm not going to give you everything i got because i to, to be fair i mean some of it i don't quite recall but i mean i remember i didn't even hang out with him i didn't hang out with him a lot off the golf course i think and that probably was good for both of us because i think we would have enabled one another quite a bit but i mean i remember vegas a couple of times and you just you you, you hear the stories about you know when it was a five-day event and he was out and he was legendary i mean he would he would go hard and he was not afraid to to spend money i mean the kid was an unbelievable talented player yeah. i mean there's no doubt about it and but he was he could go there's some guys that could that could fly i mean i for me it was more i actually would i would have i would probably sit there with my caddy and hang out with my caddy more than any. In fact, I'd probably go sit in the caddy room instead of hanging out up in the in the players' locker room. I spent more time just going out to dinner with my caddy than I did any other players. But you know, you could hear stories about some guys who like to go and some guys. Mm-hmm. When I first got on tour, there was a few guys. Ted Purdy was always a fun hang, you know, especially when we'd miss the cut. I mean, Ted was always a good dude to hang with. It's not like John Daly esque, you know, where you would go send it, yeah, where you would just go until you ran into a wall and then you'd back up and run through the wall and go. I mean, it was in, by our standards, it was fairly tame, but it was just sitting around, just having a giggle and, and enjoying life and, and whatnot, not letting, not letting anything get you down, you mm-hmm. know, after a miscut or, or celebrating after a, after a nice week, yeah. having a, having a solid week or something like that. But, you know, it, there are some guys that, that are very quiet about how they do it, but I can promise you there's guys out there that, are right in the middle of it. Yeah. And they like to have fun. Well, who was your caddy that you would, that was it Steve Duplantis? Steve Duplantis was my caddy for, for the Kemper open win. He was my, he was a caddy for me for probably about five months, five months. And I finally said, I can't hang with you anymore, dude. <laughs> you guys were just a bad influence on each well, other. Well, Part of it. But I, I think though, in one of my rare mature moments, I figured that, you know what? I probably need somebody that's, a little more grounded and 
I, I went through probably three or four guys till I found the right one, and then once I found the right guy, it was great. But but Steve was awesome. In fact, Jim Furyk and I had a co- conversation about him not long ago because he worked for Jim for many years, and Steve was Steve was legendary. I mean, I mean, what ep- was legendary? Epic, epic legendary. Just the fact that he he had no concept of time. <laughs> time just did not Is really that important for a caddy. <laughs> time did not really agree with Steve. There were more often than not, and, and Jim and I were talking, how many times did you carry the bag to the range? I carried the bag to the range, as I did, carried the bag to the range before the final rounds of when he was winning tournaments, you know? And so it's just, he was, Steve was, Steve was up unto his own. He was, he was a different breed. He was a different animal. And I, I've been around Steve at times after we won the Kemper Open. This, this is a perfect example of Steve right here. So we win the Kemper Open. I cut him a check for forty-five grand. That's ten percent, and I sent it to him. We had a week off, and I give it to him. I said, "Cash this on uh, Thursday or Friday because the funds won't hit my account until till Wednesday." Mm-hmm. This is not a problem. So we take the week off afterwards, and we come back in Memphis. And Memphis at that time, if you ever wanted to buy a Rolex or a nice watch, there was a jewelry store, a jeweler in Memphis that had gave you a great discount on watches. And everybody knew it. And I was wearing, a, I don't even know what I was wearing, a Swiss Army watch. I think it was, just, it was a nice Swiss Army watch, mm-hmm. but it was a Swiss Army watch. Anyways, I meet Steve on Tuesday morning before we go play. And he goes, bro, hell of a job last week or the week before. Hell of a job there. Let's keep it going. Let's I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. He says, and just so you know, this is how much I believe in you. I went out and bought me something. Okay. He bought himself a $25,000 gold presidential Rolex with a white face. And out of the $45,000, he spent $25,000 on that. And who knows where the other $20,000 went. It, I mean, I'm pretty sure it did not go to Mr. Tax. I was going to say there's a tax rate. I don't that. really think that that, I don't think that existed. Um, so, you know. That was Steve. I mean, he went out and bought himself that watch, and I'm shaking my head going, are you kidding me? I mean, that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I told that story to, to Furyk, and he goes, that is, about right. that is, that's about right. I mean, and he just, but you get him inside the ropes, and he was, I think the, the nickname they gave him that week was Yoda, because he was always in my head, is always in my face and whatnot during the win of the Kemper, but... He was so good at what he did caddying, but he had no. And it's funny when I say no concept of time, and he goes out and buys himself a Rolex. Like that's going to help out, Steve. <laughs> like that's going to help you. It really doesn't. But that irony was lost on me. Yeah. yeah so it. he just, you know, I, I, I miss him dearly. Uh, I really do because I think that, I think that as he, as he would have aged, he would have, he would have slowed down a little bit and, and probably gotten the bag that he deserved i mean i think he would have been one of those caddies that would have been on the bag for a long time i mean i look at him like a bones like a steve williams i mean he really was that good at at saying the right things at the right times but he just he just was not very reliable sometimes yeah that sounds like it yeah well so what the uh that book or the book bud sweat and tees which admittedly i have not read kind of chronicles at least your guys, uh, your guys' relationship in your your rookie year on yeah. tour. I think what is what's the good and the bad from that book? You know, I don't know. Uh, to be fair, uh, the the bad is that you and I got paid the same amount for that book. So, um, to be fair, I haven't read it. 
I, I read a little bit of what uh, the author, uh, what he wrote. I read a little bit of my part on it. I've never read it. And so I, it's been out since, what, 2001, I think. Was oh, that 19 years ago now? Mm. I haven't. I I have no idea what's in that book. No I idea. Mean, I mean, listen, I, I, gave, I gave the author a lot of time with myself, with my, and I made time, you know, told my family and my friends and. He went out and interviewed a lot of people and sat there at a couple of things that we did. And and then he just, I asked him about paying. He goes, oh, no, you're not going to get paid for this. And me being naive, there's no doubt about it, because he, he approached me in September of 99 about uh, about a book. And I, what guy wouldn't? Yeah. It'd be kind of fun, right? But I was so naive that I just saw my name on the uh the board right there, TPC. There you go. Yeah, I think must I made have done it, something in TPC Sawgrass. Numbers, hole number seven. I think I made a two there. That must have been it. I must have made a two there. Yeah. Anyway, oh, maybe it was. Was it for highest score? No, it was. Stop <laughs> it. You'd be nice. We are recording this during Players Week here at TPC Sawgrass. I forgot to mention. <clears throat> um, but uh, back to the book. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really have no earthly idea what um, uh, what's in there. I mean, I know that I I didn't tell the truth, the whole truth, another. But I mean, I. I laid back on some stories because I just thought, eh, I don't know if I really want everybody to know how much of a degener- degenerate I was that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're here today. You're here to tell us now. No, uh, I'm not. Right. Listen, listen, I, listen. I, I have a 16 year old and a 14 year old. They yeah. listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> they don't listen to golf podcasts. Oh, uh, listen. My wife's. Eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I feel like I've been not hesitant to have you on, but I've wanted to have you on for a while. But I feel like you've got so many good stories that it's got to be hard to know which ones you you can tell. Which well, ones it's, you know, part ones. of it, it, it is it is kind of an art you form. you still work in media. I still work in media and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out there playing again. And so I don't want to completely blow my opportunity to have some corporate sponsors yes. in case. So <laughs> I do have to kind of hold back on some. But listen, I, I man, I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, I truly am. I mean, to go from where I was and what I was doing in 1996, 1998, I was making $13,000 a year um, at a golf shop. $13,000. $13, that, that was my yearly salary. And that's not, even, that's not even last place here this week. I mean, last place is going to make 20000 So, I mean, to, to do that and to be where I'm at and to achieve everything I have, I mean, I, listen, it's, it's silly. And if you're not going to go out there and have some fun on the way, then yeah. shame on you. I mean, that, I remember when I was a rookie going up to one of the guys on tour, Scott Cuppet. He used to work for Callaway Odyssey. And and we were just kind of having a chat. And I go, you know what? This might be my one shot. This might be my one year on the PGA Tour. I might only have one year. This is before I won. You know what? I'm going to have some fun. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to – listen, when I go to a town, I'm going to go see the town. When I go do, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to explore and I'm going to have some fun. And I did. And I, listen, it was a blast and it's still a blast. I was going to say, I mean, if I think it would be, everyone's going to be different in the same way we were talking about kind of with the, just the party scene, but it would be very, I don't know if depressing is the right word, but if you were just a robot and went from hotel to course, hotel to course, hotel to course, I, I don't. I, you wouldn't enjoy your time on the road at tournaments, right? I it, wouldn't. At that point, being on the road is yeah. a detriment. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd rather be home doing that. If yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. I, I would have never survived. Right. I would have never have survived. Um, 
because it's just not my personality. And even now it's not my personality. Um, you know, when I go over to Europe, uh, you know, when I do my work for Sky Sports, I mean, I go out. I go out and I play golf. I go walk around the towns, you know, I pop into a Especially to a pub. some of the places you're going. That's you exactly got to, right. Yeah. yeah. So I go out there and I, I, I look, I explore, I I have fun doing it all. Now, I, you know, in the U.S., I get kind of locked into these places because you, you, you've been to these towns so many times that you kind of have your old haunts that you want to go to, your, your local flavors, things like that. But, you know, it's over there. If I haven't been there before... Hell, I'm going to go out there and see what's yeah. going on. Where are some fun. of your highlights of places you've been in Europe? How many events a year do you work for Sky? I work 23 weeks a year. Okay. Um, how many are in Europe and how many are I work outside? seven of them over there and 16 of them here. But this year it's going to be a little bit less over there and more over here just because the Ryder Cup. Uh, which Team USA is going to beat the dog snot out of Team Europe, by the way. Oh man, I was just getting ready to say that's okay. I would, that I, I, all of our all of our European listeners have nothing but praise for you. Like they're like, "Hey, have you ever listened to Rich Beam on Sky? He's great." <laughs> and you went and said that, and now you've hey, lost listen, them listen. all. No, 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 no. Listen, they can fire back at me, and this is all in good fun. I am. I'm going to bleed red, white, and blue for Team USA eight days a week, especially working with my crew because they hold all the cards. They have us dead to rights. They've been beating us like unwanted redheaded stepchildren for the last 20 years. And it's just, uh, oh. So I every little ounce I can squeeze out of them, I do. Every little <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, there, let me see. I mean, I think every town that we go to last year, last year in Ireland where the boys played, that was probably hitched there. Yeah. That was probably the most fun I'd ever seen. Because were you there? I was not. We were there a couple months before it, but oh, I saw the pictures of the town. The and, town shut down. Yeah. Like literally they had to divert the cars around town. They the one main road that goes through town, they shut it down on friday and saturday night and everybody was there everybody it was it was so cool i couldn't believe it when i first took the job with sky i work with a crazy guy love to tears wayne riley radar and radar is just not right in the head he's australian and he's literally not right in the head but he's got a, he's got the biggest heart in the world and He's telling me the first week that we're working together in Abu Dhabi, he goes, oh, mate, when you go to when we go to Ireland and Scotland, he says, you're going to be a rock star. I'm like, hey, he goes, no, seriously, they, they, they just, you're going to be a rock star. I'm like, all right, whatever. Literally, you walk out. I mean, I when I'm over there in Scotland and Ireland, I get I get great treatment. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And I'm just I'm me. I, I, I tried it to be anything else except for me. And. I just and I'm accommodating. You yeah. want photos, this and that. I mean, I walked down that street in Lahinch, and after I got to the street, I'm like, okay, I'm tired. Not only am I tired, I'm slightly drunk because everybody wants to buy you beer. Everybody, <laughs> God, that's so everybody cool. wants to buy you beer, and you hate to say no. You can't, and it's Guinness. So, I but. It's really interesting. He was right. I mean, there's and, proper golf fans. Oh, they're great. They're yeah. the greatest fans in the world. They they truly when it comes to golf and and it's just they love it. They embrace it. They can't get enough of it. And they sit there and I just I love the stories. I I cannot get enough of being over in Scotland and Ireland. Mm -hmm. It's just I met 
my first year over there, I on Twitter, a guy reached out to me named Paul Vaughn. Paul Vaughn's a head pro at Ardglass. Mm-hmm. Ardglass is about 20 minutes away from Royal County Down. And says, fancy a game? Sure, why not? So I hopped in a cab, went over there, introduced myself. We went upstairs, had a pint, went out there and played golf. About, I don't know, about two in the afternoon or something. And we get done. Or, or sorry, this is one of the stories you'll enjoy. <laughs> so we're, we're halfway through the round, and the views are spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. It's the only course in Ireland you can see the water from every single hole. It's unbelievable. And so halfway out there, I look over at Paul, and I said, where's the beer cart? Knowing full well, there's not a beer cart yeah. out there. He goes, ah, yeah, not like America. We don't have any beer cart. And I'm like, well, you should. Hint, hint, hint. Well... By the next hole, this old boy comes pulling up in this rickety old cart, and he's got – he. I mean, I'm, I'm not lying. He probably had like seven cases of beer <laughs> in bottles, and they're just rattling around in the in the plastic cart and whatnot. And he followed us around. It's all warm, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. So all warm. We sat there, and, and Paul goes, this is a great idea. I said, listen, you have many Americans come over? And he says, yeah. I said, you need to have a beer cart. Well, guess what? Our glass has a beer cart. Because thanks to you. Thanks to me. They thanks. need to they need to name they're, it after. They're you. gonna and then and the, there's gonna be a halfway house. Did you go to Port Rush last year? I didn't go during the tournament. No. Okay, but have you seen the new little halfway yes, house they have, have where you yeah. walk in and it's just they're gonna build something like that out by the ninth green, tenth tee boxes. They actually have something there. Perfect. Paul's Paul's the bomb. I, I love Paul to tears. He's become a really really close friend. But I am I got a beer cart at a golf course in Ireland. Are they going to name it after you? Officially? Oh, I don't. I'm, I'm sure. Better. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm. I'm sure. You need to go to like the grand opening or something. Like the first day, they need a picture of you. Oh on no, the, the beer wall. carts have been in service for. Oh, it is. Oh, it's. Oh, it's been in service okay. for. Oh, this is in 2015. Oh, so okay. it's been in service since 2016 at the very latest. Gotcha. You need a picture <laughs> on your wall, on the wall up there. Oh, but, absolutely. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I'm a member there now. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's great. I God, love I it. I love there. going over there. I really do. I love going over there. Yeah. I think Ireland is just. It's probably one of the greatest countries and. Just the people, the golf, the atmosphere, the everything. I love it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. So, how did you how did you end up with Sky? I mean, was this was this something you always pictured yourself doing at any any point? You're kind of in that you know. Well, I, we still got to talk O2 PGA as well, but you're kind of in that weird no man's land for professional golfers, the 45 to 49 yeah. age, yeah. and where you and it seems to be a common place that people end up working in media. Was that so you can work on your game, still getting ready for Champions Tour, or what was your mindset? You know, funny enough, I never really thought about it until I started having some success on tour. And I guess I was, you know, such a good interview. You know, people like chatting with me because I would give them an honest answer, like mm-hmm. like Brooks Kepka does, like Roy McIlroy does. And I was always, I was, I always had fun with it, right? And so a couple guys just put an idea in my head. You, you should really go into commentary. And I kind of molded, you know, I just, it, it was just something that was stuck in the back of my mind. And then, and then once I started not playing as much and not playing as well. Uh, at the end of 2012, when I was on the European tour, um, I missed the cut. I was over in Switzerland. I missed the cut, and I had nothing to do before, and I wasn't leaving until Monday. So I thought, you know what? I'll cruise on down and see if they want anybody, you know, do anything on TV. So I walked down there and chatted with them on Saturday morning, and they said, no, we really don't need it, you know, need anything right now. Asked the the producer, who is now my boss, Jason, he goes, do you have any experience? I said, I have none. He goes, well, get some experience and be happy to talk. 
fast forward the next year, I take a job doing 10 events maybe with Golf Channel. Uh, started off doing inside uh, inside work, Golf Central, Morning Drive, a um, couple other things. And then, and then the following year, in 2014, I did 20 events, 20 events live golf. And halfway through the season, Sky Sports was just now going to start covering more golf in the U.S. They're going to bring their own production team. I get a phone call from Jason. Are you? Would you be interested in working with Sky Sports? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. away away we go. I'm, I'm going to see how much you can comment on this. Uh, how do you compare and contrast the way U.S. television networks operate a golf tournament versus how Sky does it? It's night and day. It's, it's totally different. It's two different worlds. And it's, it's not a crack on how the U.S. does it. We just do it differently. We don't have, we don't have towers where guys will go sit into. We have basically a room, not too dissimilar to what we have right here. And what we'll do is... We have two TVs in there, and whatever comes on that TV, we talk about. And what we do, though, is we rotate. So between three of us, we'll rotate in 45-minute 45, 45 to an hour segments. So you and I would do one hour together, then I would step out, somebody would come in, you'd do the next hour, then you would step out, and I'd come back in. So you just rotate in and out. So you always have a fresh voice. So you don't have... You don't have somebody on 16 tower, 17 tower, in the 18 tower on the ground. We do have a guy that's on the ground, but uh, we only have one. And I think for the big tournaments, maybe the majors, we have two. I think well, two. I think only two for the open is mm-hmm. is what we have. But it's different, though. I mean, from that standpoint, it's a, it's a it's a lot different. Where we're always just kind of rotating in and out. We're never out there. Um, like I said, sitting in a tower all so by you're yourself. Just, Sky is just picking up the feed, the world feed that the comes. Sky is picking up the feed that's coming from CBS or NBC Golf Channel, and we basically take their commercials out. We take their, uh, we don't take as many breaks as they do. We only take four breaks instead of. That's exactly right. We show, yeah, we show a lot more golf. But unfortunately, one of our biggest problems is that sometimes there's nothing to show. Our producers have it really tough because they've got to. They've got to find something to show. Now, this week at the players will be easy because there's always going to be live golf somewhere. But what they have to do is hopefully there's a feature group from PGA uh, Tour Live or they're showing par threes uh, or even like number 10 at Riviera. They'll show that. And they'll always feed something in, but it's it's hard. They've got a tough job. So a lot of times when we go do a run of – of leaderboards that's because the, the producer is scrambling to There's find some on. golf to get out there and you know and and we do a, you know different hole pieces uh that we set up early in the week we have the guys at the sky cart which um cbs has has copied the sky cart with amanda balionis who does a great job with it and i know nbc i don't think they particularly like that so they don't have one yet but i mean I think that what they do, what Sky does, is a little bit cutting edge. I mean, we do stuff on the driving range. We get players out there for the open. We have the open zone. We have players out there. We have uh, challenges. We have all sorts of fun. Th- it really is good. I think that we have a really good product. I it's really impressive. Do. That's where I, 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 a lot of people will push back on us for our criticism of US TV and say, like, oh, it's so hard to do all these things. I'm like, no, guys, like, there's a model out there. It exists. Yeah, and it's, I think the, there's different challenges here. And I think the tour is not, I don't know if mandate is the right word, but the commercial interruption is a shared issue i think between the tour and the networks it's not straight network problems not straight tour i think it's a combination you gotta i mean as 
as Peter Costas said in his in his podcast you did with him, which was brilliant, by the way. Um, I, I thought that the honesty out there was was pretty amazing, but you got to pay for it somehow. Yeah, you know, you got to pay for it somehow, and how are you going to do it? And this is how you do it. Yeah. You got to You got to show commercials now, whether you do it, you know, the picture in picture where they show a commercial on one side and then, yeah. and then you know, the, the playthrough or whatnot. Yeah, that's that's good. Showing live golf. I mean, I, I don't want any part of the producer share. I can promise you that. Yeah, because there's all these golf balls in the air at once. Listen, you can't show live shots all the time. But what they do on the European tour, which I don't know if it would fly over here as much but what they do on the european tour is that they will actually have two featured groups in the morning or the afternoon it's, it's let's just say we have one feature group two feature group in the afternoon and we're on for four hours we will show every single shot from those two groups and then we'll they fill in with other stuff around the course when somebody else is playing well but they will follow that group because it's usually the the biggest names out there and that's interesting because they won't break away. So what that does, it gives the guy on the ground a little bit more time to talk. It gives the, to have a little more interaction between the commentator in the booth to have with the guy on the ground to ask a question or set something up. So I think from a standpoint of, of watchability, you can kind of get a sense. I feel like it gets you in a little bit better rhythm mm -hmm. where on the U S side, as soon as the putt stops or the, or the shot stops, they're going somewhere else and you're trying to, and I understand why they're trying to show as many different shots as they possibly can. But I think sometimes when you try and do that, you miss the big picture that, Hey, they, they'd like to see, you got to build up a little bit. They'd like bit. to see a shot build up a little bit instead of just going back and just showing yeah. and showing nothing. So you can tug on so many strings. It just comes back to the commercials, right? Because exactly right. you can, you know, the things that you're talking about allowing for, they just don't have the time windows to do it. They, I still think they waste a lot of time on the air doing some some things. I'm sure there's reasons why it all happens, but yeah, I and think, we try and we yeah. try and not do. I mean, obviously, we don't interview the tournament host that week. We don't do that in the tower. We don't have Jack Nicholas coming and sitting us with a Honda. Obviously, we don't do a lot of that because I think essentially the folks at Sky and, and Sky is a for the you guys who don't know Sky is actually a subscription based channel. It's like direct TV, um, right. and we own all that, but it's, it's, it's subscription-based. And so I think that what, you know, since it is subscription-based, people say we want to watch more golf. So we try and show them as much golf as we can possibly get out there. Now, sometimes we just, we can't, it's difficult, this and that, but we, we don't do a huge buildup. We right. don't do a 20-minute buildup. We do a five-minute buildup. We do something, unless we have, like last week, we had an hour and 45 minutes before the last group went off and we went on air. So, yeah, we'll spend 15 minutes at the Sky Cart, but we'll also show shots. We'll show highlights. We'll show what guys are doing out there already to kind of fill in a little bit just to give, since there's just two of us in the commentary booth that week, mm -hmm. it gives us a little bit of time to, to yep. share extra minutes to, to take a break. But but there is a lot of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, do, you, do people really want to watch somebody out there shooting – on, on a Sunday morning that's shooting 80 do you want to you really want to show that or just because it is live golf or do you want to do something else I mean everybody's gonna have a different right. opinion yeah I mean and so you just gotta have the balance you're somewhere. you're always gonna have somebody out there going this sucks it's never ever <laughs> ever gonna be perfect that's for sure I can't believe we didn't lead for lead with this or they were this far in without talking o2 PGA 
Are you feeling any different coming into that week? Are you you've you've um, won a couple times on tour to that point? Yeah, I won. I actually won two weeks prior, right. but I at the international. But you know, going into it, yeah, I mean, I was feeling good about my game, but it was only my fourth major, and majors have a different feel. They really do. It's it's one of those things where everything is bigger. It's not small and compact. I mean, everything is just it's ginormous. Grandstand, scoreboard, everything yeah. is just exponentially bigger. So I wasn't really too comfortable with playing in majors, and so your major record to that point was I was one, cut T seventy cut at the Open, the PGA, and the U.S. Open. Yeah. And you hadn't played any of the majors in 2002. No, no, I that. missed out. I missed out qualifying at the U.S. In fact, no, at the U.S. Open, I I, I played 18 holes and, and bagged it because I think I shot, like, even par. I think 63 was leading. I thought, eh, I don't, I don't have an extra gear right now. And so getting into <clears throat> the PGA, I, you know, I went out there. I got up there on Saturday, played golf in, a, in an outing on Sunday, and my caddy and I said, you know what, let's go out there first thing Monday. Let's go see what it's like. Let's get a feel for it. And we got out there, and instantly we both loved it. Mm-hmm. It was a great driving golf course for me. It was fantastic. And so we played 18 holes on Monday, first thing out. We were the first guys on the course. And then we played 18 holes on Tuesday. Pretty boring. We had Robert Gomez, Pat Perez, Fuzzy Zeller, and John Daly. Pretty pretty low key, pretty pretty low key. No gambling or swearing or stories, which is great. Nor smoking either. Jesus, like a huge cloud just <laughs> just following us down the fairway. It's hysterical. But I remember playing with playing with those guys, and on the fifth hole, par four, Dougley left to right, and I just took driver and just hit it right over everything into the fairway and had you know small wedge in. And Fuzzy goes, "What are you doing?" Just hit your freaking two iron or whatever is up here, five wood, and then you got eight iron in. It's a nothing hole if you do that. I said, Fuzzy, I'm driving it unbelievably well. I said, I just won two weeks ago. I got about 1.6 in the million in the bank. I got a two-year exemption. I'm hitting driver everywhere. <laughs> and he goes, all right, there you go. But I just, it, it was a golf course I fell in love with. And I just, I that really rarely happened to me. I would get to golf courses and I would always be, intimidated by him a little bit just because you're like, man, how do I figure this out? Cause I mean, a lot of times I'd just watch it on TV before, yeah. before being on tour, but I just, they were all so difficult. I mean, they really were. And I just got to this one and I thought, man, I like this. And obviously when you're playing well, you're going to see the golf course in a different light. But I felt, I also felt like I had the green speed down. I felt like the putting green that they had, the old putting green right next to the first tee I felt like it was it was way faster than it was on the golf course. It was also on a on a pretty good sized pitch too. So I just I didn't putt much. I didn't practice my putting. I was out there. I hit you know I don't know maybe fifteen putts before I would go out to go play, and I felt like I had the pace down. Again, everything I was doing was was working. I felt <laughs> great about my game, but for whatever reason, it just everything felt easy. But I the golf course. I guess go back to the golf. I just I fell in love with it. I really did. It was just, it It fit my eye. Everything about it fit my eye. I go back there now, and I look at him and I'm like, what the hell? How did that How work? did I do that? <laughs> that? Are you sure I won here? Really? It, 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 it really is that way. I mean, yeah. it's part of it's because they've changed it. There's no doubt about it. But 
there's parts of it that I just don't. I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. I really can't. What is? I mean, coming down the stretch there, I, remind me of the order, the sequence of events, right? Because Tiger, I know Tiger birdied the last four holes to get within one. Is he bastard? Is he behind you? Is he ahead? He's of you? in front of us. In so he's in front of it. So Justin Leonard and I were in the final group, and he's playing alongside Fred Funk. And I had I'd made eagle on eleven. And then I birdied 13, and as I'm putting it down the hill, I make it, and I pick it up out of the hole, and I, I mean, it's dead in my line as a leaderboard. And I'd been looking at leaderboards. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't chasing away from them, but this one was right in front of me. Well, I didn't realize I had a six-stroke lead with five to play. Oh, no. See? A lot of people didn't realize that. I had a six-stroke lead with five to go. And then there's about a 75-yard walk from that tee or from that green to the next tee. And thankfully, because that's when that's when I started feeling it. There's no doubt I started feeling it. I drove it. I did miss a fairway the final round. It says I hit 13 of 14, but the 13 I, I on the 10th hole I missed it by not even a yard. I drove it right down the middle on 14, right in the middle of a divot. And I plug it in the bunker, make bogey, which was fine. I like no big deal. I still feel great. And I make an easy par on 15, and all of a sudden you start hearing some roars. You hear a roar on 15. And then when we're on 15 green, we hear a roar on 16. And all I'm thinking to myself is, go, Fred Funk, go. <laughs> go, Freddie Funk. Because Freddie was a great story that week because his brother was battling um, alcoholism, and he, you know, Freddie talked about it at his press conference and, and got pretty emotional about it. And the fans got behind him, and... And so every time that a putt went in, I'm thinking Fred Funk. It's all Fred Funk. I mean, because I never once thought, you know, Tiger's making all. Because if I did, I'd, you know, I'd, <laughs> I was hyperventilating as, as it is anyways. And I remember my caddy telling me on 16, after I hit the tee shot, he said, how are you feeling? I said, Billy, I want to throw up all over my foot, Joe. He goes, good. Got you right where I want you. I'm like, jeez. Oh, but, you know, to make the putt on 16, and that's one of the shots that when I go back to 16 at Hazeltine and I look and I see where that flag was and I see where I made it, I'm going, how in the hell did I ever read that the right way? And you go back in and I poured it right in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't even How long missed. was the putt? God, it must have been over 20 feet, probably 25, maybe not quite 30 feet. Yeah, but I just, I mean, it's right in the heart at perfect pace. It was incredible. Four shot lead with two holes to play. Four shot lead with two to go. And your Tiger good. still starts, yeah, he's still throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at me. And I'm going, what are you doing? Stop. Um, but the, the, the one that I remember as well, very vividly, is Billy Handy, my driver on the last. He takes the head cover off and he pulls the club out. And he usually never does that. He pulls the head cover out, but I usually take the club out. He hands me the driver. He goes, do me a favor. I go, what's that? He says, hit this thing as hard as you can. Well, he knew that the way I played, I could swing it as hard as I want. It's not going to go offline. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to hit it dead straight. So I got up there and just unloaded on one. and just It, it was the longest drive of the day on that hole. I just, I just bashed it. But I'm walking down there, and I'm, I'm literally shaking. And I'm standing over that second shot on the last hole, and I thinned it. I came up short because I literally was afraid I was going to shank it. I couldn't feel my, I literally could not feel my body. I couldn't feel my body. That's what I want to hear. Like that, so, I feel like so many people will say, "Like, yeah, I was nervous, but I wasn't." Oh no, no, no. I is- literally, I was one bad breath away from having a full blown panic attack. I literally, I, I'm not kidding you. I thought I was going to shank it. <laughs> I couldn't feel it. I could not feel myself swing the club, and I wanted this thing over with. I wanted to be done. 
I couldn't, I mean, it couldn't, I couldn't get off the golf course quick enough. I was so uncomfortable. It was, it was unbelievable. So you chip up short from short. I, I, li- I was just on the collar. Yeah. I putted it. I putted it about 10 feet by, and then I just, I, it, I think I was actually on the green because it was the only three putt I had all week. And I, I, my 10 footer, I knocked by a, a foot and a half and, and, and brushed that in. But and, and did the, the, putter, the putter felt great. But the when I, I'm literally standing over that second shot on 18, and I cannot, my whole body is just numb. It literally is numb, and it was crazy. It was just, it literally was crazy. You just, you, I, I couldn't feel. I, I mean, as I'm, I'll say it again. I literally thought that I could shank this because I have no feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I can, I can relate to that. So one, I'm guessing the answer is no. The dance. Do you regret the dance at all? Oh, hell no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't regret it. Listen, what do you do? I know. It's like, what do you do? I mean, I, I saw Tiger win the first two majors that year, and he'd raise a yes, you know, with a big fist pump with both arms and whatnot. And I remember thinking to myself one time, if I ever win a major, I am not going to do the freaking arm pump and yes. And I'm like, so I, I just... Did your little jig? Did, did, did my little jig, baby? Yeah. <laughs> what was the celebration like after that? Oh God, um, <laughs> magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> we got done. God, I think we. I think the last. I think about six o'clock is when we finished playing. It may not even been that late, but I think we finally got out of there about nine, nine or ten. All the parties afterwards were. Like the receptions, you go in the clubhouse and you toast the membership. And and one of my closest friends to this day is, is a member of theirs. His name is Patrick Hunt. And uh, he and I talk. And I, I, I don't see him enough. That's how close we are. And I got to spend time with him for the first time, met him and, and, and all the people that were responsible for putting on the tournament and whatnot and all the committees and things like that. And then I remember Scott Ben Pelt was with Golf Channel then. I think it was still then, and I went and I did an interview with oh, was it Scott. Oh, I forget who. Anyways, but I remember my wife coming over, and she had a styrofoam cup, and I think I think there was actually a little bit of coke in there, but there was a lot of Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time I got done doing, I think there was four or five interviews I did for TV. I uh, I wasn't feeling any pain. I was feeling pretty invincible, <laughs> but. So we flew from there to Seattle. We had this, I mean, I was flying privately uh, at the time, but we had this small Lear 35. Lear 35 and not big. Mm-hmm. I mean, it fits four people and luggage and not much else. But the gift baskets and the stuff that were given to us afterwards, I mean, and, and ordering food, I, you couldn't move. You couldn't hardly move. And you got a, what, I think we had about a three-hour flight over there. And... You know, we're, it's my wife, my caddy, a uh, gentleman by named Bill Eschenbrenner, who's a longtime club pro at El Paso Country Club, and we're just sit, we're we we're laughing and smiling and giggling, and I don't even know if we tell any stories because we're just laughing so hard, like what the hell just happened? That just happened. What the hell just happened? Right? And it was just one of those things where where you're just like, how how is it even possible? And then we land and. My buddy who lives in Seattle, you know, lines up this limousine to pick us up and take us to the hotel. And we finally pass out. It wasn't even sleeping. You finally pass out about 4 a.m. I woke up at 6 just laughing 
Like literally just sitting going. <laughs> Did that just beat? Because that's Tiger. He won, like you said, he won the first two majors. Had a yeah. shot at Muirfield too, and then he got yeah. blown off the course on that Saturday. But I, I, I don't, I do not mean this disrespectfully at all. But do you know what your second best major finish is? Oh God, no! It's probably not even. Fortieth, uh, maybe. No, you had a T fifteen at Augusta. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That's right. First year I played Augusta. No, my my rec- my record of majors is terrible. <laughs> you have that. That is your only top ten finish, and you have three top twenty fives, and you won. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome that, that you're. Who cares? Able, but that speaks to <laughs> that moment being so big. Is like I feel like yeah. some guys won't either won't admit that or don't feel that because they either think they're going to have more opportunities or whatnot. Sure. But for you, I think was there at least a feeling in that of like, where at any point was it like, whoa, this is my chance. Um, you know, I never really sat there and thought about it like that because I think I was just having too much fun doing what I was doing. I mean, even though I was ridiculously nervous and all that, it was still fun. That's what you wanted to do. You know, you want to be that nervous. You want to be in that situation. So I was having, I was having a lot of fun with it, but it, it never once even dawned on me to think this is my one chance. It, It, and it's not because I didn't think that it's not because I thought that I would have more chances. I just don't think I ever even would stop and say, you know, what an unbelievable opportunity, blah, blah, blah. I just, I mean, everything, I, I couldn't even believe that I was had won two PJ Tour events by right. that time anyway. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and stop and think about, you know, what this all could mean. In fact, Tiger afterwards said to the media, says sometimes it helps to be a little naive in a situation like that, being the first time in contention a major this and that and to pull it off. And somebody said that. I said, well, doesn't that – what do you think about that? I go, he's right. <laughs> if I sat there and I stopped and I thought about it, I mean, come on. Right. I mean, I'm going to – I am absolutely going to – I truly would have vomited everywhere. But <laughs> I just you, – you don't sit there and you think about it. And I think these days with social media and all that and, and the, all the information you can get at your fingertips – it's a different world. I mean, I, I might have looked and might yeah. have seen what all comes with it, but it wasn't something that I was I was thinking about. This is this might be my only chance. I was yeah. I was having too much fun playing good golf. Well, before we let you go, what are we are we leaving any what do you have a go-to story that you're leaving on the table? What are we leaving on the table here? Oh, we covered a lot here, but <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of stories we're leaving. All right, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the craziest thing that I've ever seen in a golf course. Okay. People people always want to know what's the strangest thing or the funniest thing, but this, this is by far the strangest thing I've ever seen in a golf course. So I used to play on the Monday Pro-Ams at, in Dallas when they had two different golf courses. And I was the first group out at the TPC Las Colinas one uh, course, and we're on, we played one, two, three, walked across the road, and we're on 4T. Well, I'm standing on 4T, and I've got, I've got my four amateurs with me, and we're we're having a, a big old time as we always do, just having a laugh. All of a sudden, I see this car drive right in front of us. And it goes across the bridge and starts driving down the ninth, ninth hole. And I thought, oh, there's a concession stand over there. He's probably just going to drop something off. Mm-hmm. Then a few seconds later, I see two motorcycle cops drive by. I'm like, they're chasing him. <laughs> no way. They're chasing this guy. Well, he drives down. Down nine, turns right around, comes right back up six, and we're sitting here watching this whole thing. He drives back up six, drives up seven, a par five, is looking for a way to get out, 
doesn't find it, so he drives back down eight. Well, now these two motorcycle cops, I mean, they're right behind him, but now you've got three golf carts filled with police officers. You've got, at the time, the, the head of tour security, Danny, out there, and they're all in pursuit, and we see these officers take the cart. There's three of them in this cart. They all bailed out, and as soon as they bailed out and their feet hit the ground, they pulled out their guns, and they're, they're aiming it right at this car driving down the eighth fairway. I mean, right at them. So finally, the car stops. The guy gets out. They go and gang tackle him, you know, put him in cuffs, haul him away. And we're just sitting there watching this. I mean, this is all like literally unfolding right in front of our eyes going, this is awesome. And turns out, turns out the guy the year before had hopped over the fence at the driving range and... And started hitting golf balls like he was going to go play. And he had some mental issues. And they, the tournament actually knew about him from that instance. So Danny Colson, I, I find out the story afterwards when I was talking to Danny, that he'd hopped the fence earlier. He said, yeah, we'd, we, we'd actually talked to, we'd actually contacted his mom before the tournament just to see, you know, if he's okay. And said, yep, he's on his meds, everything's fine. Well, apparently he went off his meds for a couple of days and got in his car and wanted to go play golf and drove out onto the golf course, literally. And thankfully, you know, they took him away, put him in the right place, got him back where he needed to be. But I asked Danny, I said, I just got to know. I said, how close, how close were they to, to unloading their chamber on him? Because I mean, that's what police officers are supposed to do. And he said about five feet. So if this guy would have driven five more feet, he probably wouldn't be around anymore. So, Whoa. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that that all happened. But it was by far the most bizarre thing. I mean, there's literally a police chase on a golf course at a tour event on a Monday, and I got to witness it. Oh my and I'm God. like, you got to be kidding me. That was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen on a golf course by a long shot. Wow. Yeah. That's so, a good way to end it right that's there. That's a good way to yeah, end it right geez, there. But I've never there, heard there are definitely like more stories. When you ever we'll have, do a part two. When you have a podcast of when you just, you need to have a podcast where you just need to walk up to tour players and say, tell me your favorite story. Yeah. Tell me just your favorite PGA Tour story. I'll have another one for you. Whenever I ask that question, I always get the, oh, man, so many I can't tell. No, no, That's seriously. always a reaction. Oh, trust me. There, there, are, there are plenty of them that you can't tell. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. This is a family-friendly podcast. Yes. Well, sometimes. So, All right, Mr. Rich Bean, <laughs> uh, best of luck this week at the Players and with your upcoming Champion Store schedule. Cheers. I appreciate that, it. But great. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.